This is No Love Live with Pastor Tim Warholic. Tim is the senior pastor of Paradise Calvary Chapel in Las Vegas, Nevada. Let's go ahead and get into the word. Let's pray first. Lord, we thank you that we can gather together here this morning in your name. We can have confidence, God, in your name and and in our ability to have that fellowship with you, God. And for my brothers and sisters who are here that are like family, you've called us together as a family And we thank you, God, for that time of worship where we offer you the fruit of our lips in in, in a spirit and heart of worship. Thank you, Father, for this time in your word that is a time of worship as well as we study, as we digest, as we apply your word to our lives so that it changes our lives. And Father, we we praise you and worship you through the offerings uh, of our tithes and offerings, God, that you've given us we give to you. We pray that your kingdom would come, your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, Ecclesiastes chapter 6, we're going to do chapter 6 and part of chapter 7. If anybody needs a Bible, please raise your hand. We have uh, an usher that will get you a Bible in the backpack too, so you can follow along. Ecclesiastes chapter 6, The title of today's message is Happy Death Day. Happy Death Day. You know, like happy birthday, except you're dying. And for a lot of people, that's not happy, but we're going to get to the but, because I can't tell you yet, but it's going to be happy for us. And then our word for the day, first of all, let's go through all the words we've gone through because it's fun, if you're following along. How many people remember what the word of the day was for chapter one? Purpose. And you didn't even look down at your notes, girl. Man. (laughs) Chapter two, what was the word? Contentment. Chapter three? Time. Chapter four? Championship. Just kidding. Companionship. Oh, that wouldn't, the only first service would get that, huh? Sorry. Companionship. Chapter five? Rest. Chapter 6 is reputation. Reputation. The definition of reputation I have here for you on the slide. The beliefs or opinions that are generally held about someone or something. Synonyms for uh, reputation are name, good name, character, repute, Standing, stature, status, position, renown, esteem, prestige. In our day and age, it's easier than ever to develop a reputation, especially if you have any kind of online presence. People form opinions about you very quickly and put you into categories very quickly. I had somebody uh, not too long ago say, hey, you're, you, you know, Tim, you're just a hipster. I'm like, you don't even know what a hipster is because I am definitely not a hipster. I may be hip, but I stir in the different direction than the hipsters do. 
I look at some of the celebrities on any platform that you can see. Celebrities that society people look up to, they gain reputation somehow. And the world's idea of reputation is so odd, and, and I just shake my head, and I think, man, it's so crazy how you have these people that are up there, and you have them like as, as idols. People worship the idea, even the idea of what they're putting out there, and, and it's, it's crazy, it's tragic to me how that's happened. So the question for us this morning, and this is how we begin, it's not how we're going to end, but the question for us this morning, have you ever asked yourself, what's my reputation? Ever asked yourself, how do people perceive me? What's my reputation? How do people see me? And then the last thing is, does it matter to you? I was of the persuasion for a good part of my life that I didn't care how people perceived me. I didn't care what they thought about me. And I did whatever I wanted to do, and if you don't like it, then shove off. I don't really care. But today, I do care a little bit about pe- how people perceive me in a good way, not the bad way, because there, uh, there is a good and bad way. And this is kind of the thread that we're going to see throughout chapter 6 and part of chapter 7. He's kind of uh, going in a few different directions when we boil it all down and we look at the whole thing, we see this kind of as, as a theme throughout the time, this reputation. And we'll look and see how he starts out with these two examples in the beginning of chapter 6, in chapter 6, verse 1. There's an evil which I have seen under the sun, and it is common among men. A man to whom God has given riches and wealth and honor so that he lacks nothing for himself of all he desires, yet God does not give him power to eat of it, but a foreigner consumes it. This is vanity, and it is an evil affliction. So there's this man who gains great things, and there's three things that are listed. If you want to follow along or you have a pencil, I like to circle these things that are kind of repetitious, given the same idea. A man whom God has given riches, wealth, and honor. What does that speak of? It speaks of, it speaks of uh, material wealth, uh, financial wealth, and honor is a, is a perspective of you. It's a reputation, right? It's, a, it's a, some, somebody who has honor is reputable. And this, this man, he has all these things. And then we would see most scholars and, and some other translations of the Bible translate this different, differently. It's not so much that he loses it as much as he dies young. He has great success. He's a young man. He has riches. He has wealth. He has honor. And then he dies young and somebody else eats of all the profit that he had made. So the question is, what use is the reputation if he loses it so quickly? But a foreigner consumes it. This is vanity, and it is an evil affliction. That is tragic to consider something like that happening. It's also tragic to look and see how the world handles or elevates reputation The second example, starting in verse 3, is the opposite of the first man. 
If a man begets a hundred children and lives many years so that the days of his years are many, that was my goal, I told Grace when we got married. I want to have a hundred kids. She's like, good luck with that. We'll have... Uh, It doesn't make sense. Sorry. Thank you. (laughs) If... If a man begets a hundred children and lives many years so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with goodness, or indeed he has no burial, I say that a stillborn child is better than he. A hundred kids? Let's read the whole thing to get a little bit more perspective. A stillborn child is better than he, for it comes in vanity and departs in darkness, and its name is covered with darkness. Though it has not seen the sun or known anything, this has more rest than that man, even if he lives a thousand years twice, but has not seen goodness, do we not all go to the same place? So this guy, he has a hundred kids, and he lives for 2,000 years, but he has no satisfaction. He does not partake of any goodness, which means it's coming from within himself, not from the outside. On the outside, he has length of days. The opposite of the man that that dies young. He has a hundred kids. What does it mean to have a hundred kids? Anybody ever have a hundred kids here? Yeah, if you're a school teacher, you have a hundred kids. If you run an orphanage, you have a hundred kids. There's places that you can be parent to kids, many kids. And what happens if you're very close to those kids or for the parent that has a hundred kids, it means that you're gonna have even more grandkids, right? And even more great-grandkids. And your family gatherings are going to be incredibly large. And people are going to fight a lot more because that's what they do at family gatherings. But we digress. So you have this large family, this man who has many children, many grandchildren. He gets to experience life with them. He gets to see them grow up, but he's not satisfied. He lives 2,000 years. In the, and, and Solomon says, a stillborn child is better off than this man. The stillborn child has more rest than this man is going to get. This is pretty heavy. It's a pretty bold statement. And we have to remember where Solomon is coming from. He's coming from kind of like a low point right now. And we also have to remember and and take into consideration that this is Solomon's perspective and, and people's perspective, a truth of people's perspective under the sun, which means what? It means temporal He's not having an eternal perspective in in this situation, even though he has had in some previous chapters, and we're not going to get to it, but he returns again in chapter 7 next week. He doesn't have an eternal perspective. It's a temporal perspective, and this is a truth that the, the men and women of the world have to deal with. But take note of verse 4, for it comes in vanity and departs in darkness, and its name is covered with darkness. Think of, think of the name, okay? This is reputation. You think of name. What's your name? And why did your parents or whoever named you, why did they name you that name? Is it after a relative, a classic rock song, um, a Bible character? What, what is it? For me, I can speak for my own self. My name's Timothy. And the name Timothy, does anybody know? Besides the first service people, 
Oh, stop it. What is it? Honoring God. That's my namesake. And my mom named me Timothy because he wanted me, she wanted me to be a man that would be honoring God. Another, another way that you can, you can see the name Timothy is honored by God. And that was my mom's prayer for me my whole life, that I would be a man who honored God. So a lot of times, you know, parents pick their kids' names before they're born so that they can get them going in the right direction. You know what I'm saying? So uh, everybody's different. Maybe you wait or maybe you think you will wait until after your child is born to name them. But the idea is you have, you're having a baby. It's going to grow up. It's going to be just like you, but 2.0 better. It's going to be awesome. And you want to start them off with a good name to get them going in the right direction. So this name of this stillborn child, there's a, there's a projection of its path, but it doesn't get to experience any of the things that you desire, that you'd hope it would experience. And that's a very sad truth. But what's even sadder, he says, is the guy that did experience everything and lived for as long as you can live for and has no satisfaction or fulfillment. He doesn't taste of the goodness that God had given him. Those are the two examples. One man dies young, the other man dies old. Vanity, why are we bringing this up? What does it have to do with name and reputation? We'll see more in chapter 7. All the labor of man is for his mouth, and yet the soul is not satisfied. There's a saying, I tried to look it up, I couldn't find it, but it's you, you work to eat, you, you eat and expend energy to work and then you work some more, and it's just this cycle. It's to, to, to survive, to stay alive. The labor of a man is for his mouth, and yet the soul is not satisfied. For what more has the wise man than the fool? What does the poor man have who knows how to walk before the living? That's a good verse, but it, it's it's presented a little bit better in the New Living Translation. So I have the New Living Translation for you. Let's read it in the New Living Translation. What does it say here? So are wise people really better off than fools? Do poor people gain anything by being wise and knowing how to act in front of others? Do you know how we put ourselves together? You know, I, I like this shirt. Do you guys know what those are? What's the, one, what's the one animal that Noah didn't want to take on, on the ark? The cheetah. Get it? The cheetah. They're cheetahs. But I stole that joke from Pastor Tommy, who told it here a few weeks ago, I think about a month or so ago. But he was a cheetah. So anyway, um, <laughs> you guys are bad. We present ourselves a certain way. That's the point, right? We, we, we present ourselves a certain way because we want to have a certain kind of reputation. We want to live up to our name or our namesake. And in that presentation of ourselves, we gain a reputation. And who knows what that is, really? You can think that you have a type of reputation when people perceive you in another way. I was talking to a, a good friend of mine recently, and he said, hey, um, what did you get Thomas for his 12th birthday? And I'm like, oh, man, I uh, can't remember. So uh, that was like 
June, right? Just kidding. I'm seriously kidding. I know when my son's birthday is. So I went home and I asked Grace. I said, hey, Grace, what did we get Thomas for his 12th birthday? And she said, well, we got him that, the, um, I keep wanting to say scuba, but the, the face mask and the, the snorkel kit from Costco for, for him for the summer, for the pool. I said, oh, yeah, that's great. So I texted him and I told him. But, but anyway, we were talking. He said, well, what did you, I said, I don't know, I'll ask. And then he said, well, I got my son a fishing rod for his 12th birthday. And, and then he says, and I, but I was at work, and this is just crazy, blowing my mind. I was at work, and this lady that, that uh, works with me, she was there, and her son came in, and she got really excited, like, oh, and it was his birthday, and she's like, let me see it. And, and he, he smiled real big, and she got him a grill for his 12th birthday. You know what a grill is, right? It's where you put things on your teeth so they're shiny, like diamonds and stuff like that. And he's like, it's just crazy, like, what she was willing to go, what, what she was willing to get to or what she was willing to do expense-wise for her 12-year-old son, for what? Why? So he could have some kind of a certain kind of reputation amongst his friends. And we do this where we want people to perceive us a certain way, so we spend money or do things in order that we're perceived I was at the hat store. I like hat stores. I like hats. I was at the hat store, and there was a guy working there. He's from New York, and we were talking and you know, getting to know him and asking him why he came to Vegas and what's going on in his life right now. Really cool guy, chill, willing to talk. So we were, we were rapping back and forth, and uh, I said, hey, I got to ask you a question, hat guy. I got to ask you a question. I have not asked Google, so I'll ask you. And if you can't tell me, then we'll look on Google. But I need to know, why in the world do people leave those ridiculous stickers on their hats? It's the silliest thing that I've ever seen, and I can't stand stickers on anything. The first thing I do when I buy something is take the stickers off. By the way, if you, don't leave, if you leave the sticker on your hat and you don't take it off, don't feel too bad. I also struggle with the people who buy new laptop computers. And you know the stickers that have all the stuff on about the computer? They leave them there. And I'm like, you're not supposed to leave it. Take the stickers off. I have somebody who bought a water bottle. And she's good. she has the sticker on it. I saw her three or four times in a row. I'm like, hey, when are you? you going to take the sticker off your water bottle? She's like, I'm not. I like it. He said, give me the water bottle. We're taking the sticker off. Anyway, so for the hats, I'm like, why do they leave the stickers on the hat? He said, oh, this is why. I know that. I know that. Because uh, there's so many knockoffs out there that you can get knockoffs, and they're not the name brand things. They're knockoffs, and you spend extra money for the real deal. So they leave the sticker on to authenticate it, to say, this is a real hat. I really spent way more money for this hat than the other hats, and I want you to know it. Why? Because they want to have a certain kind of reputation uh, of things that they spend their money on because it's some kind of a status, and we're getting back to the study again, back to the Bible that talks about how vain this is, the vanity. Some of you guys know, and, and hopefully he's watching online. He's probably not, but I, I got a new barber recently. His name's Eric. Pray for Eric. I've been praying for his salvation. Every time I go get my hair cut by him, you guys like it? I try to share a little bit of the gospel with him. And yeah, divine. So as I'm, share, I'm sharing with him, I'm meeting with him, I'm like, so Eric, like I really like my 
getting my hairs cut and looking fresh, how often should I come get my hair cut? Like what, I've never done this before. Like I just kind of wing it and it seemed to work for me. But I like, I want to, I want you to get saved. So I'm going to keep coming back. And, and what, you know, what's the regular? He said, well, you know, it really depends on you. You could come once a month if you like looking unkept and you like looking good for a little bit of time, and then, you know, so you come once a month, you can come every couple weeks. I have uh, my guys, some of my guys, I'm their guy, you know, they come at least once a week, sometimes more. I'm like, once a week, getting a haircut, well, like, okay, so if I come once a week, to preach the gospel to you, if I come once a week, is it, it's going to be less, right? Because you're not cutting my hair, you're trimming my hair because it hasn't grown that much, you know? So how much is it if I come once a week? And here I'm in my, num- in my head, I'm thinking, you know, if it's like 10 bucks, then that's cool, but, you know, I end up spending less or more, blah, blah, whatever, you know? Uh, is, is this guy's soul worth it? And, and, <laughs> and he says, it's the same. If you sit in the chair and, and the buzzers hit your head, um, it's the same price. And I'm like, are you kidding me? And he said, yeah. And I'm like, so the guys with the little whirly dudes, I'm thinking about getting some lightning bolts, you know. Those guys got to come in pretty regular to keep that. He said, yeah. And I'm like, and it's blowing my mind because I'm not trying to make fun of those people by any means. I'm just trying to highlight and point out the value that society has forced us to place on reputation or status and who you are based on how much money you spend and what you spend money on, and your value and your worth. This is contradictory to what the Bible teaches us about our true value and worth. And it's not about what other people think about you. It's how your heavenly Father perceives you. And it's the reputation that you have before Him more so than before any man. Better is the sight of the eyes, verse 9, than the wandering of desire. This also is vanity and grasping for the wind. Whatever one is, he has been named already. That's another way that you can say that. Whatever one is, he has been named already. It's his reputation. It's who, who they are. It's who they desire to be, how they present themselves. For it is known that he is man, and he cannot contend with him who is mightier than he, since there are many things that increase vanity. How is man the better? How does this affect people? For who knows what is good for man in life? All the days of his vain life, which he passes like a shadow. Who can tell a man what will happen to him, happen after him under the sun. For who knows what is good for a man in life? It it all ends up coming to the same conclusion for the rich, for the poor, for the reputable, for the non-reputable. It all comes to the same conclusion. We all go to the same place. He said that a little bit earlier after the example of the second man. And we all should consider that one day we All will stand before the throne of God, great and small, rich and poor, everybody, every knee will bow in the presence of God before him. And it will no longer be about us so much as it will be about him. 
His reputation is greater than ours ever will be. And it's through that, it's through that that we should be functioning now so that people don't see us representing ourselves well for ourselves, but us representing ourselves for his name because his name is over us. Now let's look at verse seven, which is really the heart of the study and ties this all, brings it all together, makes a little more sense out of it, okay? Chapter seven, verse one, a good name is better than precious ointment and the day of death than the day of one's birth. That's the happy death day verse and the day of death than the day of one's birth. So we have three things to take note of. If you're taking note of your note taker, we've got to the point where this is the heart of the message. Three things. Number one, precious ointment. Number two, good name. Number three, day of death. First of all, precious ointment. We lived in Europe, you know, for 10 years. And... If you know anything about Europe, it's, it's a great place to go visit. We loved living there. We, we love to go visit. It's awesome. One of the more difficult things about living and traveling in Europe, if you've ever done so, is the subways and trains and public transportation. And the reason why is very convenient, but the reason why is that many Europeans are not so careful about placing precious ointment under their armpits. So what that means is it can be smelly in some public places. And uh, you kind of get used to it, but for us Americans, we don't like it. It's, oh man, just put on some deodorant. It's not that expensive. This isn't true throughout history. Throughout history, especially in Jesus' day, precious ointment was precious for a reason. is because it had great value. It's very, very valuable. Back then, they didn't have so much investment accounts and CDs and savings accounts and banks. What people would do in that day and age is they would invest in particularly precious ointments because you can continue to add to it. You can take a little bit away and, and you could... Uh, uh, you can, put away this amount in your savings account. This was, you know, it was what you had earned, what you made. And then when the time came, you could take and sell it and get money from it or purchase something else or do whatever you intended for it. Then you see the picture of Mary who brings the precious ointment to Jesus and she breaks it and she anoints Jesus with it. And and what does Judas say? Judas says, oh, that's a foolish thing to do. Why would you do that? Why would you do that? That could have been sold and fed many poor people. Says the guy who really meant, I would have been the one in charge of the money. I would have pocketed some of the money, and then we would have given some money to the poor people. His, his motives were not pure. But the Bible tells us that that ointment that she anointed Jesus with was worth a year's wages, a full year's salary. How much do you make in a year? You know, because at the end of the year, the beginning of the year, you take your W-2s or your 1099s and you have to report to the government how much money you made. And this woman, because of her relationship with Jesus Christ and, and her understanding of his value and worth and the value and worth, spoiler alert of our next point, his name, she was willing to give much. That amount, a year's salary, a year's wage, She gives it to Jesus. So is precious ointment valuable? Back then it was. 
And she basically took all that she had and she showed where the true value, the true worth was. And she demonstrated it publicly by, by showing that it was Jesus. A good name, though, is better than precious ointment. A good name. Think about that. A good name is better than precious ointment. And I love that last song. I did not tell the worship team to do that last song, but it just that's the way the Lord worked it out. What a, what a beautiful name it is. What a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus Christ, my King. His name is the name above all names. His reputation is the reputation above all reputations. King of kings, Lord of lords. And he has taken us and he has placed us in a position where his name and his reputation cover us. That is the relationship by the grace of God, that we get to have with God through his son's good name and reputation. There's nothing more valuable than that place, that standing before God. And the only reason that we are able to have it is because Jesus laid down his life, gave everything for us so that we can engage in God, with God in that relationship. What kind of reputation did Jesus have? Which brings me to the next thought. What kind of reputation did Jesus have? Well, some people had an opinion about him and other people had a different opinion about him. Some people thought that he was the Messiah. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And other people were saying, that guy, he's a drunkard. He's a wine bibber. He's a glutton. He eats with sinners. Was that true? It was true, but he was not, it's true what they said, but he was not a sinner. He did not give himself over to sin. And we see what happens is what other people thought of Jesus was not the perspective and reputation that God his father had for him. What did the spirit say or what did God the father say when Jesus was baptized by by John the Baptist? This is my son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus had good good reputation with the only person, with the main person who it mattered. (laughs) He had a good reputation with his father. And for you and I, it doesn't matter what kind of reputation you have with anybody else because you have a good reputation with God and his reputation, your reputation to him is going to influence you in such a way that you're going to want to represent him here. And hopefully you want to do it well because he's placed his name over you. Does that make sense? Are you guys following along? He's placed his name over you. He's given you his reputation. And we should want to take that and use it in our lives to show others of who God is. A good name is the second. Precious ointment, a good name, and then the day of death. A day of death, then the day of one's birth. We as believers have to remember, we have to consider that death isn't the end. Death is just the beginning. It's the beginning of eternity. It's the beginning of relationship with God in the way that he intended from the beginning, from creation, he intended it and wanted it to be. 
There's another verse that we have coming up that the verse 8, the, the end of a thing is better than the beginning, which we're going to look at when we get there in a few minutes. But take that into consideration with death, the thought of death. The birthday is the day when everything starts and it's great. But the day that we meet our maker is the day that we finally see the reason and purpose for everything that happened in our life. This should be a good day. Oh, God, I have so many questions. I have been wanting to have this conversation with you for a long time. I trust you. I know that you're good. And now I see your good purposes fulfilled in my life and the goodness of of those things overflowing. Precious ointment, a good name, and the day of death. Then in the rest of this section that we're going to look, look at, the rest of the things that he's talking about speak to how to have a better reputation. How to represent not only yourself well, how others see you, but before God being in a representation of him. Verse 2, better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. Better to go to a funeral than to go to a party? He says yes, and this is why. You go to a funeral and it's sobering. It's real. Everybody that goes to a funeral is sitting there questioning their past life decisions, their current life decisions, and their future life decisions. So it's beneficial for you because you're thinking of, of application in your life. What do I need to do? How do I need to live? Oh, I'm going to have to deal with this day too. Maybe they didn't die on that day, but I'm going to have to deal with this day that I have my funeral and I have to have an account of what my life looked like. So he says, it's good. It's better than going to a party. Why? Because parties are showy. They're fake. You get dressed up. You talk to people you don't want to talk to. You, you present yourself. You want to represent yourself a certain way. It's vanity. It's meaningless. Showy I have for the first one, sobering is real in a memorial service or funeral. House of feasting can be showy and fake. He's saying, he's speaking about introspection. Think about how you're represented. For that is the end of all men, and the living will take it to heart. Do they? They do. I think every single person that goes to a memorial service or a funeral are taking to heart the service that's happening before their eyes. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by a sad countenance, the heart is made better. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by a sad sad countenance, the heart is made better. I think this is a processing of issues he's speaking of. Because I like to laugh, and laughing makes me feel better. But you know what also makes me feel better? Sometimes when I'm having a really rough time and and, and uh, going through some really difficult things in life. Sometimes it's good to just, it's nice to have a, just a good cry. You ever had a good cry sesh? It's just like you just weep and just like, oh, in your pillow. And you're crying. And then you get done crying. And you're like, oh, man, I feel better now. You know, I, I should have a breakdown more often, you know. Sometimes it's good to have a good cry. The heart of the wise, verse 4 is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. The house of mourning I have here as the reality. House of mourning is what's happening, what we have to address. The house of mirth is fake. It's fake. It's not real. 
It passes. Somebody will be planning the next party in the future. Verse 5, it is better to hear the rebuke of the wise than for, an, for a man to hear the song of fools. A rebuke of the wise is, speaks of character. If somebody has something to correct me in and I receive it and I change or I adjust, then I'll be better for it. I'll develop character. How about the song of fools? But that, then a man that hears the song of fools Again, we have this kind of party picture, this party of, of um, this, this idea of just your, your life being gone so quickly over in a minute. I was talking to a, a brother. I mentioned this recently, I think, but I was talking to a brother last week who I met the first time, for the first time, but we were friends on Facebook but we never met each other. But, so we met for the first time. We're like, oh, hey. And whenever I meet those kind of people, I'm like, hey, we can be real friends now, not just virtual friends. Is that cool? Can we do that? And, and then usually they're like, well, let me think about it. Because being a real friend is different than being a virtual friend. We all know that, right? But I want, you know, I want there to be value in relationships. So I say, hey, we can be real friends now. Anyway, so we're talking, and he makes this comment where he says, man, I wish that I came to know the Lord at a younger age. He said, 25 years I spent partying. That's how I would sum up my life. I was a partier, and for 25 years I, I spent my life partying and doing what I wanted to do, living in the house of mirth, um, singing the, the songs with the fools, you know. And, and he, he said, 25 years went by, and then I thought to myself, I looked and I realized 25 years was gone, was gone like that. And I had nothing to show for it. It was, it was worthless. And then I became a believer and started following the Lord. And the, the things that have happened in my life since that time have given me so much meaning and purpose and value in God's eyes that I understand than all the time that I spent before. When we lived in Europe, they would have these carousing bands. Do you know what a, it means to carouse? I believe the definition, and you can look it up and correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe the definition of carousing is a group of people going around singing songs loudly. And I never experienced this before, um, just in the culture that we live in. But in Europe, after the soccer games, which the football games, which is soccer, they would get loaded, totally smashed during the game and then after the game, and they would walk around the city with these bands of guys like, 10, 15 guys just walking around in circles, singing songs at the top of their lungs, like as loud as they can. It's like 2 o'clock in the morning. It's a Saturday night, uh, Sunday morning, 2 o'clock in the morning. I got to teach at the, in, in, the, in the morning at church, and I've got these guys, you know, screaming these, these songs, and it's like, I would talk to, you know, when I would talk to these guys who would do this, they thought it was so fun. Like, it was so fun to get smashed and to sing songs at the top of your mouth, at the top of your voice, walking through the city in the middle of the night. And it, and it really, I read verses like this, and it makes sense. It's the song of fools. There's, there's no benefit that comes from it whatsoever. It's better to hear the rebuke of the wise, which builds character, than, to, than for a man to hear the song of fools which is shallow, empty. For like the crackling of thorns under a pot, I, I have here temporary, I, I write words next to 
to verses to follow along. Like the crackling of thorns under a pot. What is that? It's, it's temporary. It doesn't last long. Those little branches are burnt up very quickly. So is the laughter of the fool. This also is vanity. The laughter of the fool has an ending. It has a conclusion. It finishes. It's shallow. It's temporary. It has an ending. Verse 7, Surely oppression destroys a wise man's reason, and a bribe debases the heart. It speaks of corruption and how when we give ourselves over to corruption, how it affects us. The end of a thing is better than, than its beginning. The patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. The end of the thing is better than the beginning. And sometimes we would like to hold on to the old things. But it is true that the end of a thing is better than the beginning, right? You, you want to be getting to a point where what you're working on is finished. Like God spent six days creating the heavens and the earth. And then on the seventh day, he was finished. It was completed. The number of seven speaks of completion in the Bible. Every time you see it, it's connected to completion. And God rests on the seventh day and it's over. You know, he finished it. And you have a project. You don't want to be working on that project for the rest of your life, do you? No, you want it to come to a point where, where it's, it's done, it's finished, and you can present it as something. As, hey, this is what this is. Grace was telling me there's a lady that she works with at her work who was sharing with her that her and her husband are in a difficult spot because they bought a plot of land and they built their own custom home, which I think is pretty cool. Don't you think that would be cool to buy a plot of land and to just build whatever you want to build from the ground up? That'd be really sweet, right? So they, they bought this plot of land. They started to build this house. And the contractor um, that, that took the job is so terrible that it's been over, well over two years. And the house is still not done. And it's not even close to being done. And she's just in shambles because, you know, she just wants it to be done. The end of the thing is better than the beginning. Yeah, breaking ground is fun, but we want to take the key, unlock the door, and walk into the new house that's constructed. That makes sense for us. The end of a thing is better than its beginning. The, the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. The, the patient in spirit speaks of longevity. That's what patience is, right? It speaks of longevity, and that's better. But the proud in spirit, what happens every time pride is brought up in the Bible? The whole Bible, especially the New Testament, talks about pride. Pride is always cut off. It's broken. It's stopped. Pride is not good. So patience is, has endurance, has longevity, is good. Pride is cut off. It's good to be uh, patient. It's better than the proud in spirit. Do not hasten in your spirit to be angry, for anger rests in the bosom of fools. This is also a truth that we can understand. Um, see somebody who loses it too quickly, really super easily, over nothing. It's like, man, that guy's kind of a fool, you know? He can't control himself. He can't process things. He can't deal with it in a way without exploding and becoming angry. Do not say, why were the former days better than these? For you do not inquire wisely concerning this. This is all about perspective. Don't say the old days were better because you don't know what God has for you today. In fact, God has good things for you today. He has good things for you tomorrow. And you're so focused on yesterday that you can't really receive the fullness of the goodness of the good things that God wants to do in your life today. 
I was talking to a good friend of mine last week. We got together and we're hanging out and we started talking about some things that we were doing together years ago. And, and I said, oh man, that was so fun. That was so good. And joking as we were leaving, I said, man, those were the good old days. And he looked at me and he said, these are the good old days. And I was like, you super spiritual <laughs> punk. You know what I meant. He's like, I know. But it's a good, it's a good thing to give perspective about, isn't it? You think of the past, you think of a time that was good, you dwell there, you live there, it's not healthy for you. These are the good old days. These are the days that God created for you. These are the things that he has for you to walk in now. Wisdom is good with an inheritance and profitable to those who see the sun. For wisdom is a defense as money is a defense, but the excellence of knowledge is that wisdom gives life to those who have it. But the excellence of knowledge is that wisdom gives life to those who have it. We want to have life. We receive life from God. God says, you have my name over you. He says, my reputation covers you. When, when we stand before God, he looks at us and he sees the shed blood of his son, Jesus Christ, and us in our complete whole form. We're reading, uh, we're going through the book of Revelation, the seven churches on Sunday night. And last Sunday, we did the church in Sardis. And the, the sardines, I call them. And we had some other really great fish jokes last Sunday night that you guys all missed. But anyway, so the sardines, um, they're people who, who were, had given themselves over to not being watchful, not, not like introspectively, and, and, they were, and they were dying. He said, you guys have a, a reputation that you're alive, but you're really dead. Interesting, isn't it? That you have a reputation that you're alive, but you're really dead. And then he goes through and he talks to them. And in the end, he, he gives them a promise. He says, if you overcome, if you overcome, come, I'm going to do something for you. And, and all of the churches have these things that, hey, if you overcome, if you do well, uh, this is what I'm going to reward you with. This is what I'm going to bless you with. This is a promise that you can look forward to. And I'm going to give you some a white stone with your name written on it that only we know. Uh, all kinds of different things. And this one, he says, he says this, if you overcome, I will proclaim your name before my Father in heaven and all the angels. And at first you're like, well, that's, you know, that's kind of lame, a little different, Lord. You know, like there's a lot of other promises were really good, you know, and this one's just, you're going to tell people my name. And I don't think we realize how tremendous, how amazing it is humbling to think that when I get to heaven, Jesus is going to say, and here's Timothy Warholic. I can't wrap my head around that. I'm like, don't say my name. You know, it's not, not, no thank you. I want to hide in the corner. Look at Jesus, you know, throw, throw everything that I have, anything that treasure that I have in heaven that has been given to me back at him. You alone are worthy. You alone are good. Your name alone saves. You are good. In the first service, I did the, you know, the introduction like at a fight. And here's, it's almost like superstar status. And I bounce out with flexing, you know, oh, yeah, there's Tim. No, dude, I'm not going to be doing that. I'm humbling myself, laying myself down at the, the feet of God's throne and saying, 
man, God, you, your name is holy. You are righteous. And if anything good came from my life, if anything good came from my life, it's because it came from you. So from now on, today, and today when it's called today, okay, I want to represent you well. I want to have a reputation that speaks of you. I want your your reputation to be lived through my life. And we can do that when we consider that it's not so much about how we represent ourselves to others, but that God represents himself in us and that we take that and allow his glory to be shown through our life to others. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word today and that you have this for us. We can consider what we look like today, where our thoughts are today. Take into consideration that, that you have a place for us, a calling for us, that, that it's by and under your name and your name alone that we have this reputation with the Father. Father, bless your church this week. Fill them with your Holy Spirit. Allow them to see those things that you have them to walk in so that we can be good representatives of you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.